Ambassador Podcast, a resource created by a community of Christians seeking to represent God to a watching world in humility, unity, and boldness. Our goal is to educate, be educated, encourage, be encouraged, challenge, and be challenged as we pursue a heavenward perspective of God's heart for racial equity and reconciliation rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's up, y'all? Welcome back, and thank you for joining us again on the Ambassador Podcast. I am your host, Jericho, and I'm excited to be bringing you another episode. So listen, y'all, if you are just jumping into this season, uh, we're actually just coming off of a full month of Black History Month content. In February, I mentioned at the beginning of the season that we were going to be switching up uh, our cadence. And instead of releasing on every other Monday, we actually released on Wednesdays, and it was four Wednesdays straight. So this is our first episode coming out in March. But if you go back one month, you will be able to get four straight weeks of Black History Month content, man. It was so much fun just collaborating with some of the local guests and celebrating and honoring Black culture historically, nationally, and locally. So if you didn't get a chance to check that out, uh, please go ahead and do that. Those episodes are up and you can always go back and listen. And so we have an amazing guest this week that I'm excited to introduce. But before I do that, you know I got to let you know that if this is your first time tuning into The Ambassador, what you can expect from us is biblically informed, honest dialogue, and open conversation. What we're aiming to do is create a space where tough conversations are the norm and where we can come together in humility, unity, and boldness. And so with that said, let's jump right into this interview. Uh, on today's episode, we have Pastor James Roberson III, uh, who was the lead pastor of the Bridge Church out in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, he has a long history of not only pastoring, but also church planting. He did plant this church, the Bridge, but he also has planted in places like Georgia uh, and Maryland. And he is a husband to Natasha and a father to three beautiful daughters, kind of like myself, Faith, Leah, and Sophia. And he is also focused on social justice issues in several areas like youth empowerment, substance abuse, and domestic violence. A man after my own heart, Pastor James. Man, it's an honor to have you. Thank you for joining us. Honored to be here, man. Excited. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So uh, we like to start these interviews with a little icebreaker. Uh, and so I want to I wanna ask you, man, if, if we're out in Brooklyn, New York, um, you can't say pizza or cheesecake, um, oh, but we're out there to hang out to eat. Uh, it's dinner time, you know, sun's going down and we're dressed up. Where are you taking us to go eat? There's a, uh, man, there's so, it just, just depends on how you want to swing it. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, then, uh, you have to excuse me. I live downtown, so there's a lot. That might have been the most <laughs> Brooklyn, New York thing yeah. I've ever yeah. heard. And I, 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 I can't guarantee you that's not. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can't guarantee that won't happen. <laughs> if if there's not somebody, right, that's somebody on their phone or yeah, 
a fire truck. Um, so it just depends on like the vibe. Like if you want to go like a little bougie, there's the Clover Club on Smith. Mm. Um, that's that's like a, like a, a vibe. Um, you know, we could go to BK9, which is Caribbean joint, mm. which is on uh, Fifth Ave. Um, that's that's where I that that is right by my church. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean. I was going to say juniors, you kind of, you kind of intercepted that. So, cause that's the, that's the real, that's, that's big. So you can get a lot of people on there. Mm-hmm. Um, man, then there's like, man, there's this other spot called the soul spot. It's actually right, right by my crib. And it's, yeah. it's like down home type food. Now yeah. that's not, you don't hang out in there. Like there's no room yeah. to hang out, but you can, okay. if you want to eat, if you're just trying to eat some that's fried right. chicken, some mac and cheese, that's you go spot. to the soul spot. Yeah, man. So, yeah. and yeah. then there's like, that's all downtown. Okay. Like I could bring you to uh, the outer borough, East New York, you know, yeah. and then we yeah. can, we can go to like different parts. Um, but I, I brought you to very safe, safe areas. There, there we go. <laughs> we the guess. You got to treat us right, man. You can't that's be right. That's arms right. away. You feel me? Yes. 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 <laughs> no. So, um, man, tell us a little bit about yourself. I kind of gave a little bit of your resume, man, but I want to, I, I, I want you to color in some of those lines for us. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us an overview about when you became a Christian uh, and what you're doing now and, and kind of how you got there. Yeah, well, I'm a preacher's kid, which kind of colored how I saw life um, growing up in church. I grew up in a traditional black church. and uh, But at the same time, I played uh, high school football. And being good at sports um, also colored the way that I saw life. And so I kind of combined the two and I was that kid that, you know, prayed before football games. And, and so mm-hmm. in some ways I worshiped God, but I worshiped the football God, right. The one that yeah. would help yeah. me become the best athlete that I could be. And, uh, yeah. and I, I, I do believe that I had an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ at the age of 12, but I also had a tremendous idol uh, called the NFL, and so sure. I got, uh, ended up playing college ball at a small school, James Madison University. And then, uh, we ended up having like a pro day and that's when the, you know, different teams will come down and Chicago bears came down and I did my 40 yard dash and it was my, that was my speed was my advantage. And so I ended up doing a 40 and I pulled my hamstring during the 40 yard dash. And so for those that don't understand the nature of that, that would be like, um, blowing it in the interview, you know what I mean? And so at that moment I had to rehab and I started to hang out and not go to practice. And, and, and so that, that spiraled my world. Um, I pledged fraternity, Omega Sapphire fraternity. Um, and those were all good. I mean, like there were great people at the club, the frat was good people, but I was just kind of got lost. So I did several years of that, two years of that. And, um, February 23rd, 1998, I was sitting in my room with, you know, an ounce of weed and just wanted to smoke all day. And, uh, and I was really sad and I just, there's no other way to put it. I just felt the presence of the Lord, um, like really just come into the room and 
I was crying and I was like, okay, Lord, I, I need to do something different. I cleaned up my room. I tried to find a Bible. I got completely lost when I was reading and I was sitting next to a young lady in class the next day who was part of a ministry. I think she was part of like young life. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what ministry it was, but it might've been like young life. And, um, she just had an authentic walk with God. And I just literally asked her like, how do you walk with the Lord? Like, I don't, mm. I, I think I want a relationship with God. And she told me to read the book of John. Mm. And, um, but eventually she would lead me to a guy who worked for a campus ministry called the navigators. Yeah. And he just like would meet with me and we'd go over different Bible verses and, and I would memorize Bible verses. And it was the first time that somebody like sat me down and taught me like, Deep, like detail, a detailed understanding of the Word of God, how to understand it, theology, all that stuff, and so that would that led me to um, one day having a conversation with Tim, and it was like, "Word, well, you know, you should do evangelism and all this and all that." And I was like, "Yo, yeah. we used to go to this thing called um, Prime Time, and that's where." Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ had their big weekly meeting. They call it primetime. Mm-hmm. And primetime was exclusively white, like a thousand white kids. And so I was like a raisin and milk up in that piece. And so I was, <laughs> as an athlete at a predominantly white institution, I was used to being around white people yeah. and just kind of getting what I wanted. Not, you know, in a, in a sense of like, I play ball with y'all, I go kick it with the homies. I go, I'm in class with y'all, I go kick it with the bros. I'm in church with y'all, but I go kick it with the bros, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then they were like, well, we want you to bring the bros to primetime and I'm like they're not coming to primetime wow. I tell you that right now they're not coming to primetime and they were like well what, what does it look like you know what does that look like and I was like well we would have to make something for them so that's when you know the conversation around this the word contextualization was being explained to me and I remember reading the book of Acts and whatnot, and uh, you know you had interviewed the hottie Lewis and we, this is around the time we met and some of my story is so similar to his because it was just like he I remember him always using the phrase like I just want something for my friends and that was literally what it was like I have nothing yeah. for my friends to come to so um, fast forward so I start we started an impact chapter on my campus at James Madison University and, yeah. you know folks was just like you saved like, what are you, like, you handing out tracks? And it's like, yeah, you know, I'm saved now. And, you know, I went from, like, literally, like, being out there smoking on campus, and now I'm yeah, handing out yeah. tracks, and people just were confused. Because wow. basically I was hanging out, I was, like, in a dungeon with white people. I came up saved, and they nobody got it. So then I we ended up doing a night where I gave my testimony. And so, but what eventually... um what happened was my frat brothers and folks from the club and my friends from the football team started coming to my Bible study because essentially I was the worst of the bunch. Right. And so it was like, well, we can, let's go see what this brother's talking about. And I would, you know, I would study the book of Philippians the night before talk about, you know, to live as Christ, to die as any type of hype. And they, they was like, Oh man, you know, and I tried to explain in a way that they understood. Yep. And then we would go kick it after. 
And so it's what I always talk about with my church now. Like when people ask me why I started my church, I was like, it's really what I saw on my campus. I was like, man, if you explain the Bible in a way that I know you understand it, Mm -hmm. um, and then I can, and then we can build a relationship. I think something, you know, God can movements happen from that. You can do something. That's good. So that's essentially what was the launching pad of me eventually starting a church in Brooklyn. I had pastored a church. So I did that in campus ministry. And then I had pastored a church in Raleigh, North Carolina in 20, no, 2006, 2006, mm-hmm. I became a pastor at 29. Mm-hmm. And I quickly discovered that campus ministry and the traditional black church are like, cause we were using the same language, like discipleship, preaching, yep. Evangelist, we want you to do all the things you no, you don't. That's not right, what you want. Right, you want right, me yeah. to preach, dress, dress really good, preach <laughs> really good, and be a really nice guy. And for the most part, I understood that because I didn't realize that I had all this language that I had adopted from campus ministry. And it's like one-on-one time and, you know, let's love on people. People like love on people. What is, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like I had all this jargon that I thought would translate. Yeah. Yeah. So I had five years of that and again, no knock on them, but I was not a good fit over time. They didn't let me go. I just was like, yo, I don't think this is going to be what I do. So eventually in 2011, I moved down to uh, Atlanta and um, again, Dahadi uh, Lewis and I had been knowing each other for years. And, you know, I was like, yo, I'm, I'm out. He's like, well, why don't you come down to Atlanta and we can, you know, we can plant this church together. And so I came down there for about a year and a half, two years. Yeah. And we were going to do like a model where I was going to do like a campus and it was just, we just kept talking. It was just like, bro, you're a lead pastor. You know, yep. Yep. that was the conversation. And then I was like, man, I don't know where I would, where I would start a church. Yeah. And it was like, well, why not back in New York? Now I hadn't been back in New York to live like 19 years. Yeah. So long story short, although it's long already, um, <laughs> I moved, I moved to New York, back to New York in February, 2013. Didn't know a soul, man. Mm. Oh man, definitely not the way to plant a church, man. Definitely wish I had just been able to move there and just like spend time. But when church planting is like the thing, it just, it's a little agenda ish. It's like, that's right. Speed becomes a reality. And um, so Yes, I was meeting people in coffee shops and it felt like I was like picking them up. You know what I mean? Like, yo, you got a you got a church, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like you into the Bible. (laughs) You know, it it just everything was just so um, you know, everybody I met was a potential, you know, because I didn't have anybody, but it was a date. um, It (laughs) was a date. It was was a a date. date. Like, I want to get to know you. Yeah. (laughs) It's quite right for a core group. Like that's, that's right. That's that's right. Needed. Um, but long, long story short, um, I eventually met some people, uh, who, you know, I got connected to, they were a couple and then, I started a Bible study with them like 
but it was a couple and like they invited their sister of the young lady's sister, her best friend. Mm-hmm. And then he invited his brother and his mom. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was us. And yeah, then we yeah. were able to get like a, a building to, to do the Bible study out of. And yeah. seven years later, here we are. You still, you still at it, man. You still at it, man. That's, that's, that's beautiful. And I've, I've heard this story, uh, before too, man, you, you tell it, you tell it well. Um, mm-hmm. it's faithful, it's bold, uh, it's grassroots, it's obedient, <laughs> you know, man. And it's, and it's so, so, so cool to kind of see where you guys are at now. And, uh, man, I love following your journey. Uh, so Praise grateful God, that God's man. using you in the way he's using you, man. Thanks, man. Uh, so I want to, I want to continue on with the, with the interview, and so as, as you know, man, c- kind of what the Ambassador Podcast does here is, is we uh, engage in issues of race, religion, culture, and justice in ways that pursue reconciliation. Um, uh, we are passionate about reconciliation. We are passionate about unity. Uh, and we know that the way that we can only get to those things is not through sweeping things under under the rug, but by addressing the issues, <laughs> engaging in truth, and then walking forward, right? And so this is kind of what we do here. And so uh, I want to talk about a, a popular term, social justice, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm passionate about social justice. I know you're passionate about social justice. But in a lot of circles, right, social justice seems to be this taboo topic. Nobody wants to talk about it, right? And so many others some would even say social justice is unnecessary or unbiblical uh, at worst, which we know isn't true, right? If you've read any parts of the Bible, you know that like justice is all throughout it. And even uh, social justice as we know it, right, is even in the scriptures. And so you can look at the Old Testament, you can look at the New Test- Testament, you can look at the church in Acts, you can look at the life in the words and <laughs> the actions of Jesus and you see it all over the place. Right. So, um, I want you to talk about this a little bit. Could you tell us a little bit about social justice in general, uh, the reasons for it both historically and biblically? Okay. Um, I think that my journey, um, in this area has been one where I, like many people, um, knew America's, you know, atrocities and, um, the problems that came about, but my training, um, kind of put the challenges amongst black and brown people in this space of compassion Mm. and, and mercy. That's good. And that was cool. I mean, from what I understood, that was fine. Um, black and brown people, you could you could be blindfolded and you could throw a dart anywhere on the map of the United States and we could find the ghetto, right? Yep, yep. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have terminology in my brain. This is, I'm talking early on in my ministry. I didn't have terminology in my brain to think about systems. In fact, mm-hmm. what I understood was in the 1960s, there were these very outward facing laws that were essentially, you know, creating, creating division, right. Yep. Um, and sustaining it. 
And then once you have these laws taken away, I really didn't have language for what happened next. It was kind of like a mystery to me. I know growing up in the eighties, there was a very big movement of like black empowerment, black owned. Um, and there was like this, there really was a movement of the black bourgeoisie and, and, and you, 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 you kind of heard a lot more. It's funny now the, the phrase black on black crime is considered a pejorative, but in the eighties, that was what you heard all black, every black leader was talking about black on black crime. And it was in, our music and even to the point where we had, you know, we used to do stuff. I mean, hip hop did stuff where they would bring everybody together and make a song like we are the world. Well, hip hop did it and they did self-destruction. And that was the, that was the kind of core thinking that we have to do for ourselves. We got to stop killing ourselves. And although that tone is still true, I think the shift that many of us saw happen in 2013 roundabouts was Trayvon Martin. Yeah. And here you had a law on the books still, you know, still operating, you know, stand your ground that essentially gave space for a young black boy who we know was doing nothing wrong. Uh, to get killed, um, yeah. who, who was in his neighborhood. Yeah. And so I believe that it was in that moment that there was an awakening. Now I know the term woke has, you know, basically white evangelicals have, have successfully turned that into a pejorative as well. <laughs> but, but, but I do that's, think that's that, another episode. That's another episode. Though. Right. But I do think that I do think the concept of, oh, oh, becoming woke. I mean, like awakening to the idea of like, wait a minute, what, how, how is it that I can go anywhere? Like, why is this so normal? And then I, and then I had to wrestle with, um, what does it mean to have racial disparities? So, so just from a technical standpoint, I began to understand the concept of racial disparities and that was what began to really uh, turn a corner for me. I think throughout the Bible, um, obviously you have Jesus flipping over tables and, and being concerned for the poor. And this was a systemic criminal activity happening from the church, by the church, for the church um, at the time. And so Jesus, you know, disrupts a system. But even when you look in Isaiah 58, yeah, and I think that's kind of the core chapter I go to to think about fasting, right? And yeah. what is what kind of fast? Is this the fast that I choose? The Lord says through Isaiah. And I think that is such a provocative text because in that text, it, you have this religious group of people who are literally asking God, we want you, we want you to hear us, hear our prayers. And the Lord, I mean, you just have to suffer through my, the James Roberson version, but the Lord is like, no, you, you all, you all have not eaten bread. Hmm. All the while there are poor people around you. Yep. 
and it, 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 it touches on this idea, you know, when I, when I look at that text of like people actually sacrificed eating bread while their neighbors didn't have bread. Come on. What'd you do with the bread? When you, when you said, I don't want to have bread this week, what did you do with the bread that they could have eaten? Yeah. So it is, it is, it is an amazing tension created in the text about spiritual disciplines, uh, not being the only means by having intimacy with God, but rather using the disciplines that God has given us to be awakened to the conditions of people around us. In other words, if you are so intimate with God, but you are not aware of the brokenness, the systems, the concerns of the people around you, then you are not necessarily seeking God or you are not actually intimate with him because he is hurting for the people that are hurting. Right. So, um, and, and then I started seeing it not started to, but it just became even more clear as I, you know, we, we wanted to start a campus in Flatbush, Brooklyn, which is mostly Caribbean. And we, got a, uh, we, we became the PTA, PTA president. Really, my wife became the PTA president. I was the co-president, which is basically yeah, I was yeah. a personal, personal assistant. But um, we were the presidents. And so we, we, we first moved to Park Slope, Brooklyn. And Park Slope is a very affluent community. And we, we didn't have money, but we got an apartment. We had ended up with an apartment there, um, an affordable apartment for us. <clears throat> So we moved there. We went to PS10, and I mean, the budget for the PTA was like a million dollars. <laughs> and we're just like, what? And then there's like a science fair, and we go to the science fair, and you know, the science fair is like so on a stick and yeah, yeah. bubbles and you know, cardboard boxes with yeah. you know, tin foil on it. They charge ten dollars to get up in that piece. I'm like, what? To get in the science fair? Yeah, yeah. Is Bill Nye doing a present? What is happening at this science fair? <laughs> but what I what we realized was everything they did was to be able to acquire discretionary funds from the community that they knew had it, mm-hmm. and that's how they were able to raise money. They had people who were benevolent, but they also created a system in order to raise money through everything, anything they did. So we moved from Park Slope to Flatbush. And when we moved to Flatbush, we become the PTA president. So we're like, okay, how can we help? You know, the budget was negative $40. Oh my goodness. Now with that, that's what you call a disparity. Right, right, right. In Park Slope, it's Disney World and all the rides are for free. In Flatbush, we we can't get a play done. We can't get a science fair done at the same level at all. And when you start looking in the community, this is a bunch of black and brown folks, blue collar workers trying to get by. And so I, I that that I became fixated on disparities being a means by which we see inequality in, in a community. And then it and then it harkens to this idea of is it just 
Is it just to have a community next door to you, 20 minutes away from you, that the books are totally different? Is it just that the PTA has a completely different budget? Is it just that that kid is going to come up in a completely different environment than this other kid, a kid by which he's done nothing. He's done nothing to earn or deserve his environment. He just came up in it. Right. That's right. And, um, and again, when you start learning what the, you know, yeah, a lot of those people work hard at Park Slope. I get that. But a lot of them had tremendous advantages. And That's right. I think the working assumption, right, if we just want to be, if we just want to take away data, just let's just, let's use an assumption. The people in Flatbush don't work as hard as the folks in Park Slope. Yeah. And guess what? That is totally not true. It's not true. You know, you, right. you, you know it's not about hard work. It is about particular advantages given throughout a system, throughout, you know, their lives um, yeah. that they're, that they're utilizing. So, so that just began to, you know, tell me that this, this is my, these are my brothers. This is, we are a unit. This city is a unit. Yeah. And uh, Tim Keller always uses this imagery of a tapestry of like um, the, 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 you know, Shalom being the interweaving of um, different threads and the absence of Shalom, the breaking down of Shalom is yeah. where you have the chaos and the brokenness of structures. And so, um, so we want to bring Shalom to the community by healing disparities and that would be the enacting of justice to heal those disparities. Um, and I think that's what gets lost in the conversation because I just, it just blows my mind when I see folks going over to Africa with these little black kids and it's just like, Come almost on. like these people are really struggling. And I'm like, Come on. Come on. you've not even considered how to build a relationship with, and I'm saying for white evangelical churches, have, have you considered how to build a relationship with this black and brown community that's across the tracks, like 20 minutes away. Across the tracks. Yep, that's down the street. Um, that's around the block. <laughs> you know. And, 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 and the reason why it is tough is because you'll have to deal with the issue of race differently than you will if you go to Zimbabwe. Um, but you get the advantage of the, the, um, the complexion, but you don't have to deal with the culture. And so, you know, so that, that's essentially how I kind of went on that journey of understanding. Sure. And so that's, that's what I work now to do is to heal disparities in communities, which I think all churches should be about. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so good, man. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much to unpack <laughs> in what you just said, man, but, but, but for the sake of time, uh, we got to keep it moving. Uh, so you, uh, over the last, I want to say, like year, year and a half now, uh, created this organization called Pray March Act, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a response to some of the social unrest, uh, the injustice that, that was going on in, in 2020 uh, yeah. and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, in some sense, when things like this happen, the black community tends to act out <laughs> right like mm-hmm. like like we want to we want to make known our anger our frustration right which is which is which is good and right in some sense um but i think to organize and create something that's like pray march act and sustainable um mm-hmm. 
and is and is and is active in the community, right? And is constructive, like that's that's a completely different thing, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Like you're like we're sitting in the same pressure cooker, we're sitting in the same heat, uh, but you don't act out, but you turn to activism, right? Mm-hmm. And so, can you tell us a little bit about Pray March Act, uh, what that is, and what your hopes are, uh, and, and what that will accomplish out in Brooklyn? Yeah. Well, I, I would first say that when when black and brown people feel an injustice has happened to their community, I think one of the one of the uh, for instance, if a, if a police officer shoots somebody in the community, um, the social unrest that that comes about is um, as Cornell West would call it, the powder keg. Right. Yeah. And it is it is years of micro incidents or larger incidents that have come to a forefront. And right. it is a violent expression of long term issues that have been unspoken to. And so what what although, you know, we would never have a violent protest, we would never uh, attempt to destroy buildings and things of that nature. When you're seeing that, you, you are seeing the social unrest to people who uh, have been hurting for quite some time, and they will be heard after that. Now, that's uh, not, not what we want to do, but we also have to understand that Jesus uh, flipping over tables is, in essence, a non-peaceful protest. It's, right. it's a movement to, and it's, it's a, I mean, and he got out of court, you know, and, and was slashing folks. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that sometimes this, this reaction, this reaction from black and brown folks, I'm not, I'm not sanitizing it, but I'm just saying that trauma has an effect on a community. And we're not talking about people saying, I want a better water fountain. We need more speed bumps. Come on. We're against the vaccine. Like we're not talking about, uh, we're against masks. We're not talking about yeah. social problems. We're talking about life and death. We're talking yeah. about systemic things that people have been seeing since they were young. So yeah. this causes a traumatic effect. Um, with that, with that said, uh, 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 your question was about protection. <laughs> Sorry. I just kind of jumped yeah. on that. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, man, there were all these protests happening. And my homeboy, Justin Matera, who is a pastor here called Zion Church in uh, Bay Ridge, he called me one day and was like, yo, man, look at all these protests. He's like, the church, the church needs a protest. I was like, word. He was like, man, there should be a church that rallies all the people. I was like, straight up. And he was like, man, we just, we got to, I mean, somebody's got to stand up. I was like, somebody. Word. Yes, today. <laughs> and then he was like, "Why don't you know? Why don't we try to organize something?" I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, and so I said, "Oh, hold up, let me call." Let me, you know, my wife was in the other room. I was like, "Yo, what do you think about this?" And my, I'll never forget. My wife was like, "You have to do it." She was wow. like, "You got to do it." And I was wow. like, "Okay, okay, okay. Well, wow. Let's let's do a protest. So let's do it." Um. So I went and I went and got um, 
uh, you know, just some friends got them together, strung, strung together a few friends. I was like, yo, why don't we just do this protest out? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. So we decided on a day to do it. And then we just, you know, Justin's really good at social media. He runs a marketing company and he was like, okay, let's post it online. And man, then we just started getting hit up by everybody. Wow. And they were like, yo, we're, we're coming, we're coming. And then there was like, um, I don't want to call people overnight activists, but what I'll say is everyone felt in that moment, the church had to do something. Yep. And, and when I say everyone, I mean like being a church plant, you are connected to evangelical spaces. And I would call myself evangelical adjacent. Like I'm next to sure. everything evangelical. So sure. it was like, Oh, we know James. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's all go. So the folks at Redeemer city to city, that's, that's like Tim Keller's ministry. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, all these different ministries in New York were like, yo, we're coming to that. So what went from like five pastors became like 500 churches and thou, I mean, they say there were 5,000 people there. Who, who knows? I mean, it was a massive amount of people in front of the Barclay center. And, um, uh, you know, so I, I that, that day was like historic. It was like, yo, this is amazing. So I was on a ladder in front of the Barclay center with a megaphone and I'm, I'm like, I'm preaching. Iconic doing picture, all by the way. Oh, thanks, dog. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Yeah, it was crazy. And what what made the day wild was there was another protest that was like drowning us out. So I had to ask them to calm down so we could, you know, so we could do our thing. And so it was, it was just intense. So all that happened. So man, I get off the ladder and I just walk. But I'm walking home. I'm walking back to my car. I don't even know how I got home that day. And I'm, so I'm walking back, you know, I think about maybe about five or six people stopped me in tears and was like, what's next? Wow. And I was like, um, wow. nothing like in, in my head. I'm like, I don't know, man, you know? And so you could just see the, the desperation in people. Like we've got to do something. Yeah. So the, you know, we, the next day we turned it into an organization. And, and so, yeah, so pray March act was born out of a protest. And now we, we consider ourselves a Christian anti-racist organization that focuses on racial disparities and bringing churches together to fight against systems of injustice. Wow. So is, is that something that you guys are just doing there locally in the Brooklyn area, New York area? Or is that something you guys are planning to expand across the nation? Right. I think it's something like, uh, the end campaign with Justin Gibney and those guys, right? And kind yeah. of the, the the kind of chapter aspect they got going on with that. Like it would it would be so dope for something like Pray March Act to have its you know fingers across the nation as opposed to to having its home strictly there in New York. So I think one um, shout out to Justin. Uh, we've we've broken bread together and yeah. kicked it, and uh, I think he played played ball at Vanderbilt. So yeah, um, but he's he's the kind of guy that should have been at Vanderbilt. Like I, I, yeah. I played football and went yeah. to class. Like he was an actual student athlete. So yeah, as you can tell now, <laughs> uh, cause he's a lawyer and he's really smart. That's right. But, uh, that's right. Uh, but yeah, so Justin, uh, is so sharp and what they do at ad campaign and the books they written, the book they wrote. Um, I think the distinction, if there is one, is just more so like 
excuse me, right now, I think we're trying to learn what does it mean to be against racist policies or to fight against disparities. And I think that takes a very deep dive in a community. Um, So I think what, what we, what we want to do is if we are trailblazing, which I think we are, and we've gotten requests nationally to start, you know, PMAs here and there. I think if we are trailblazing, I think the first thing we want to do is say, okay, let's, let's cut down all these trees so we can create a path. But then we need to like stop and look back and be like, okay, what is this path again? Like, where did we go? Cause I think sometimes in my experience in nonprofits, sometimes you can allow interest to be presumed as investment and you can turn like popularity into a movement for the sake of popularity. And, um, and so I think that we, if we are going to be about something, it is going to be about the work. And I think we just have to understand the work first. So I can tell you this right now, what we're doing is, um, we are creating, we're trying to create a sustainable model for membership and we want that to have meaning. So we've been looking at and campaign CCDA, uh, NAACP, different organizations that have been similar in this space. And right now, just to give you um, an example, right now we are looking to have churches become members here in, in New York City. And we're, we're rolling this out in October. Um, yeah. They would become member churches. And then from there, we're, we're focused on five specific areas, housing, economic opportunity, education, criminal justice and health. And just to give you an example, um, when it comes to housing, nine out of 10 neighborhoods with the worst housing outcomes have majority of black and brown population. So in the Bronx, the Fordham and Morris Park neighborhoods have a 96% black and brown population and suffer from the worst housing quality conditions, the most maintenance deficits and the highest rent burden in New York City. Um, the other example I would give you, I could give you one from each, but I'll just give you these two. Um, from the economic standpoint, the median income in the South Bronx is overwhelming. Uh, the median income in the South Bronx, which is overwhelming black and brown South Bronx is, um, is like $25,000 a year. The economic reality there is in stark tr- contrast to a median in- income in Battery Park or Greenwich Village is $140,000. Okay, so an area with only 8.7% black and brown residents, and that's the lowest percentage in the city. So wherever there are black and brown people, you know that there are going to be tremendous um, disparities. I'll give you one last one when it comes to education. Yeah. The lowest performing public elementary schools are in neighborhoods with the highest concentration of black and brown residents. The highest performing elementary schools are in neighborhoods with the lowest concentration of black and brown residents. For example, Brownsville, Ocean Hill in Brooklyn, only 23% of the fourth grade students perform at a grade level compared to 85% in Battery Park, Granite Village, and Soho. Now, that's these are facts. So you can, you know, like. Right, right. This is the thing that I don't even try to convince people anymore. These are facts. 
These are facts. Even if you wanted to say there were it's a character problem, then God has called us to heal character issues. You know, yeah. like if that was the case, but we see that these are, we see that they're uh, using that uh, PTA uh, issue at hand. Um, there's significant disadvantages. So we want to investigate uh, that criminal justice and health, um, those three in criminal justice and health. And we want to investigate. So what we're creating is if you think of a church, you have church and then you might have a group ministry. Um, but we, we're calling these working groups or work groups. Yep. And um, each church would have a liaison in a working group. And your focus would be on praying about these areas researching these areas, educating the community about these areas. Cause the problem is a lot of times people don't understand the details that go into why these disparities exist, the policies that go into these areas yeah. and then how to pray yeah. about those. So that's why we're taking our time because it's like, man, let's understand these five areas in our community. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're rolling that out in, in October and, um, and trying to, trying to really focus on healing those specific areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really empowering, man, to, to, to hear, to hear you guys are doing that. You know, um, those disparities you're mentioning aren't only in places like New York, <laughs> you know, right. they're also here in places like Ames, Iowa. Right. And so, man, right. I am, um, man, I'm, 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 I'm motivated. You know, we are part of, uh, some of those things here already as well. Uh, and man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to pray March act lifting off, taking off, uh, mm. this initiative you're pushing out next month, man, and trying to see, um, or as we're recording next month in October, uh, and, and kind of see, man, how we can be a part of that. So man, really appreciate you. Thanks, man. Well, I'll keep, I'll keep, uh, everybody updated. They can check out our Instagram at pray March act and, um, yep. we'll try to be, keeping, uh, up, up, updating everything there, um, as we roll everything out and our website, prettymuchact.com. Uh, yeah. Cool. Thanks, Pastor James, man. So look, thank you guys for tuning in to the ambassador podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to discussing more topics in the coming weeks. Uh, we hope for you listeners that this has been a helpful resource and we encourage you to visit our website at www.weareambassador.com where we will have some resources for you to dive into um, and head over there to the website to send us an email and engage in conversations with us. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive frequent updates or you can partner with us financially as we look to plant and support healthy multi-ethnic churches with a next generation focus. Man, thank you guys for listening and we'll be back soon. Thank you for listening to the Ambassador Podcast. If you would like to hear more episodes or get more information about the Ambassador, please check out our website at www.weareambassador.com.